Lockdown of Podcasting. Charles McFall here with a Thursday night edition of the Rockdown of Podcasting. Normally I record this on like Wednesday morning, sometimes on Friday morning. But man, my schedule has been crazy. And I am here live on Thursday nights on YouTube right now. Uh, for the patrons, of course, for the patrons. So if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, how did I miss a live? Because you're not on the patron list. Go to patreon.com forward slash rock out of podcasting. Love you a long time. <laughs> hey, Mike, what's the question for today? All right. Today's question. In previous episodes of Rock God, you've referenced something called the Bear Crawling Nation without really getting into detail of what that is or whatever became of it. So tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Mike, I can tell you about the rise and fall of the Bear Crawling Nation. Actually, looking around my studio, 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 turn it. I should have thought about it beforehand. I've got a mug that commemorates show 100. For the Bear Calling Nation, my wife got it for me along with this wonderful bobblehead that I keep in my studio. Love it. Look, look, I have the, uh, the I haven't shaved in a day or two look, just like my bobblehead. <laughs> so uh, there's a mug from 2008, August, uh, August 8th, I think, 2008, where it says show 100 for the Bear Calling Nation. So I'm going to talk about that, but you know, I need to really dive into... Excuse me, I really need to dive into my history with podcasting and what I've learned and how that goes to really share the story. Now, you all know that I've had damage in my life, right? I've had baggage. I've felt like I've been unworthy, those kind of things. And at some point in my life, as I started doing good things, and I mean, things that were notable, things that people were liking, I would always have to disparage myself somehow or I literally fell into the mind trap of I'm not good enough so therefore I I have just enough talent I'm just good enough to find really great people and as they rise I'll rise with them and that's just that's just crap that's not how that goes so before there was podcasting there was music I've always had this message I've had this monologue in my head for literally as long as I can remember as long as I can remember. I can I can remember being a little kid. Now, sometimes it were prayers, right? And that's quoting fingers. Sometimes it was just thoughts in my head. I would run things through my head of what I was going to talk about to my parents or things I would say, those kind of things. I've always just had this running monologue for a very, very, very long time. So at some point, I mean, I, I realized, yeah, I've talked about this. I realized that I'm destined for greatness and those kind of things. But I also realized that I had a message to give, uh, a story to share. I, I had no idea what it was. I had no concept of what any of that meant. It was simply just, there's something for me to do and to say and to change the world. And for some reason, I never, never thought about going down my father's road of being a preacher. Never occurred to me. Perhaps because I saw the world way too clearly and religion never worked for me. Perhaps it was the bullshit and politics of the church that says they love God and they love people, yet racism ran rampant and judgment ran rampant and more damage was done than good in a lot of the churches that I saw. So perhaps those things played in, into it a little bit. But I always knew I had this message and... I was always drawn to music. I was always drawn to the storytelling that is in songs. 
I, I can't tell you what it was. I've always tried to sing, and I've done okay with some of it in my life. I've done all right. I was never the man. Uh, I learned the guitar, but I learned enough to to do some cool stuff with it, and never the man. So, singing was always a thing. Singing was always always a thing, and maybe I rebelled against speaking. Well, I never was drawn to be a preacher ever. I mean, it just my sister would she loved cats and we've had a couple of cats growing up and whatnot and she used to preach to the cats and she used to try to save her little cat soul and she would go play pretend in the yard and walk up and down and i'm sure she played different games but she would do preaching games and pray in the jesus games and those kind of things i always had gi joes and and going in and, and setting wrong things right and more more of that you know i i i don't know i remember playing a version of dungeons and dragons when I was a teenager it was the marvel superheroes version or maybe it's just superheroes in general because i know we all made up our own heroes we couldn't get we maybe it's just the way the dungeon master ran it i'm not sure but we created our heroes versus having wolverine or hulk or somebody like that and i remember always wanting to be that good guy always wanted to be the one that that was the hero that changed the world that saved the day even to the point where somebody i mean i guess is he just didn't like what i was doing and the dm put me in a corner almost almost literally i mean he didn't put me in a corner in a room but he he put my character in a corner and there's a, a somehow i got really close to this bad guy or whatever it was and I always just had this probably a, a self-righteous attitude about it, honestly. Probably a judgmental thing going on. <laughs> Side note, I remember getting in an argument with somebody about how Metallica was satanic, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. And this all has to do with the rise and the fall of the Bear Crawling Nation. So D&D, he, put, he gets my character in a corner, essentially, and says, either you come with me or I kill you. And I was like, you can't kill my character, whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, like the movies, I'll go with him, but I'll I'll never be on his side, right? I'll be tricking the bad guy to be the good guy. And I even told the DM after the game, I told him that. It's like, all right, you know, I went with you, but this is the deal. You know, my character is never going to be brainwashed. He never played with me again. Never. Never played with me again. I don't know what that was, but I know I always had that driving force of of wanting to change the world for good you know i don't know what the deal is and i was always drawn to music because music meant so much to me i got so much out of it uh, elton john grew up listening to elton john all the time john denver uh you know my parents were into easy listening stuff like the carpenters were early things i got into simon and garfunkel as a teenager loved all their stuff uh, Huey Lewis in the news especially Huey Lewis in the news that really that got me and then then Johnny Johnny Boyd came along Johnny uh Marsh is is his name now um it's a long story but John John I'm sorry John Marsh is his name now <laughs> J boy uh he was a good friend to me he introduced me to to uh, uh, my own collection of porn mags. Uh, he introduced me to blowing stuff up with firecrackers. And he introduced me to a little band named Metallica. 
and he also introduced me to a band called Firehouse, and I really got into hair metal at that point. Uh, from Firehouse and, and similar band Saigon Kick. Uh, Life is on the way. I can see it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he he helped open my eyes to a bigger world. See, the thing with Metallica, though, was I grew up in the church. Uh, every time the doors were open, I was there. Most of my homes that I grew up in were owned by a church. Half of them, I think, were on church property. Like, here's the house, and 10, 15 seconds of walking, you're at the church. So, just, I, I, man, I remember my dad's office. He had a huge, like, five inch binder that was uh, D&D on the, the evils of D&D. I think I kind of was around him when he taught on some of that stuff. I don't know what he believed back then. I was too young. I have no idea what he believes now, but I'm sure it's different than then. Because fear, man, fear is the mind killer. And I know that's a quote from Dune. People didn't understand Dungeons and Dragons. I am sure statistically there were probably some teenagers who had no self-worth, who maybe came from uh, abusive families. I, I don't know, but I'm guessing statistically there were teenagers in the 80s who are suffering like teenagers in the 90s did, like teenagers in the thousands did, like teenagers today do. So I can imagine that someone found some really great worth in creating this character, creating this world, creating this thing outside themselves that they could be whoever they wanted to be. And that character dies. And they lose all hope. I don't know. Maybe there wasn't a single suicide, but I know according to the church, according to the fucking religious people I was around, kids are killing themselves over D&D. It's of the devil. It's Dungeons and Dragons, and you know Satan's a dragon. And uh, Yeah. <laughs> so there was all that. And rock and roll. Man, if it's Christian rock, is okay. If it was secular rock, it was evil. And there was even issues with that that I'm going to refrain from jumping into at this point. But I just got it in my head, and this is moving towards the Bear Calling Nation story. I just got it in my head that Metallica was satanic. The old stuff was satanic. Somehow, Load, I think was my first, no, Black was my first real good album that I had by them black. That's why I stole it from Johnny. I did. I totally borrowed it with his permission. Even though I did air bunnies, I borrowed it with, but I never gave it back. He just ended up buying another copy. <laughs> and I had to hide that from my parents. I had to keep that away from them, but nothing about black felt wrong. Nothing. But it was a different, a slightly new modern metal style than, say, the original Kill 'Em All. And a song like Kill 'Em All freaks out a church boy, right? It, it, it makes my butthole pucker. Uh, hearing thrash, you know, not thrash metal, but that, I mean, just the hardcore stuff they were doing early on, it freaked me out. And somehow I rationalized. No, this, this album in Load, Load was definitely a lighter, more mainstream album uh, compared to other albums that they had but there's just something about Metallica man they just resonated they were just 
no matter what I thought about that stuff, it worked. So then I remember being in college age, because uh, I attended a year of college away. I did later on. I finished up my degree in, in online school, so on and so forth. College age, I was in the college group at Prince Avenue Baptist Church, and I remember being. I think I was just at a friend's house. I don't think it was a big party or anything, but it was a gathering of people, and I just spat off because I'm I'm the same person I am now. Just I've cleared my head of all the bullshit, most of the bullshit, but here where I'll watch my tongue and realize it does no good to say something right now. Sometimes I'll start a, start a fight intentionally. Then I was like, I know everything and I am not afraid to say my shit and blah, 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 blah. And I would just spout stuff off. And I spout this stuff off to this guy. like, say Metallica is satanic. He's like, okay, prove it. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's, it's dark metal. Kill them all. I was like, do you know the lyrics to kill them all? And he started quoting me the lyrics. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And he started quoting the lyrics to like one or something. I don't remember. Justice for all and justice for all. And he just very non-aggressively but unmovingly challenged me on the bullshit that I was spouting. His name was Jeff. I wish I remembered his last name. He was cool as shit. And I wish I could be like him. You know, I wish there there was a conversation here recently the last couple of days where people who have been in a field that services other people and they have very strong opinions on how to handle certain things, including killing people. Like that's part of their solution. Not in a murderous way. It's, it's a, it's a way that I used to think. And I sat there going, it's not going to do any good for me to say anything right now because this is coming from somewhere else this is something nothing to do with what we're talking about but i was thinking but what what if what if i just said they're people too and how does killing them make us better how does reacting that way make us better when i because i know conversation is what changes the world sitting down with the person who you think is your enemy and they think they're your enemy sitting down, Republican sitting down with a Democrat. And instead of arguing points and this is mine, fight, 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 a conversation of let me choose my words carefully and talk to you as a human being and you listen and then vice versa. You choose your words to best communicate your thoughts and I listen. It's called negotiation and we do it all the time in the world, but not in everyday life. Fuck that shit, right? And I thought about Jeff, and I thought about how he challenged me on the Metallica thing, just going, okay, prove it. You spouted this thing off, prove it. Oh, well, uh, and I had nothing. I mean, I had nothing. With the two little, two little wimpy arguments, whatever I threw out at him, were just ripped to shreds. I mean, he just did. He just very calmly went, no, here's some lyrics. He knew, because he knew what the fuck he was talking about. Because he listened to the music he had the words he had the experience he knew what he was talking about I was making up opinions based on random bullshit thoughts of other people and that changed my world I love Metallica to this day I love Metallica in fact there's a concert coming up that I probably will miss but I'm hoping that a miracle works out maybe somehow my wife surprises me with tickets or something happens but Metallica's coming to Atlanta with Avenged Sevenfold the last 
name on my bucket list of concerts to go to avenged sevenfold i have seen metallica two or three times i've seen corn i've seen uh, uh kill switch engage um, so i had a very short list of of artists and bands i want to see on stage and i've checked them all off except avenged sevenfold and they are freaking coming with metallica to atlanta and I have not the resources. I have no resources to to line that up. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that will happen. Um, but I remember just this drive for music, right? This drive. And in the day that I grew, in the early '90s. You know, I'm talking the early '90s. I turned 16 when I was 94. I think it was maybe 1994. Yeah, I'm not doing the math. I'm just kind of feeling it out. I know I graduated high school in 95, and I graduated early. So I, I'm pretty sure 94 is when I turned 16, maybe 93. I don't know, somewhere in there. It's because I was driving. I knew That's why I remember it this way. But you could go to a Christian bookstore, and I would go with my parents. And then every Christian bookstore back in that day had sound booths. Not recording booth, just a sound booth. That was not soundproof. So if you sang bad, everybody in the store heard it. It was horrible. But you would buy tracks to sing at church, right? You go for a while, it's cassette tracks, singles that had the song and the key. You wanted it in so you could hear it and learn it. And then you'd flip it over or whatever, and it'd be the song with no no vocals. You would be the vocalist, and the, the track would back you up. Then, of course, it moved on to CDs. I'm sure at some point it went to MP3, but that was long after my time. And I remember going to the Christian bookstore, because that's all I knew at one point. I was by myself. I was 16 years old. And I remember staring at the new release posters of of music coming out, or music had just been coming out. And we still didn't really have internet very much then. Uh, it came a little bit later. Uh, ready, ready access came to it a little bit later than than 93, 94. But I was looking through tracks. I just couldn't find anything I wanted to sing. And I was learning guitar. I knew piano some. I had, you know, I knew some music, whatnot. And I remember looking at this poster going, God, I wish I, wish I knew which one of these bands was like Metallica. The Metallica resonates so well. This is the thought I had. I want to be the Christian Metallica, which is dumb. Because one, you're shoehorning yourself into a stupid fucking niche. Two, you need to be the you. Metallica's Metallica because they're Metallica. Name your favorite. Avenged Sevenfold, which I love. Oh my God, I love. They're, they might be, if you go by the numbers, they're probably my favorite band because I own more of their albums than any other album by any other band, uh, including Metallica. Uh, I, I, Kill 'em All was okay. It just it came at a different time for me. Justice for All, I dug. One played the crap out of it. I mean, I'm black. One's on black, but uh, black was amazing. A uh, load, reload. I enjoyed and owned. Uh, Garage, anything after that, I didn't really buy. I, I, Death Magnetic, I got. Uh, somebody bought that for me for my birthday one year. So I have Death Magnetic somewhere. I digitally I have it digitally. But Avenged Sevenfold, man, the second I discovered them, which is on their second, maybe third album, I went back and bought the first two albums, ate them up, and bought every single album. Except I think they have one, maybe two out since I've stopped collecting actual CDs. 
but I got one of the newest ones for my birthday maybe two years ago, three years ago. So I'm fairly current with them. So I looked by the numbers. You know, you look at the albums I own. By the numbers, Avenged Sevenfold is my favorite band because I own more of the albums than anybody else. Not the point, but who gives a shit? So I remember wanting to be the Metallica of Christian music because that's that's the world I grew up in. That's that's how I wanted to change the world and. Ah, I don't know. It, it was just it was just messy. So I tried band after band. I worked on different things. I definitely wrote songs from my own experiences. I still have two or three songs that I wrote that I wouldn't mind trying to sell to the right artist or give to the right artist, quite honestly. The right artist that can do it, that can catch the, the heart of it. Change it. Change the melodies. Change the harmonies. Maybe change up some of the words or the structure. But the heart of it is there. You know, it's 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 like when you write a first draft or even a second. There's a heart of a really good thing in there, but it's surrounded by a whole lot of bullshit. I can give you that. I can get that my songs might be that way, but there's a heart there, and I think the right person can do it justice. And I've yet to find the right person. If you think you're the right person, bearcrawling at gmail.com or rgop at charlesmcfall.com, which is also how you can get your questions in. So, as I'm on my own right i'm living with my wife i own my own house i built a band room when we built the house i built a room for a non-existent band to practice in to do studio work in those kind of things and attracted all the wrong people so here's where we start getting into the rise and fall of bear calling nation you could say i was desperate i was desperate to get connected to music because i never could trust myself and through a paramedic that I worked with, I met Nicole. Her name now is Spencer. Honestly, I don't remember her original last name. Sorry. But Nicole Spencer. She's married to my buddy Douglas. And I I got basically this guy. I, he never would admit it, but he slept with her sister. I and mean, I'm sure he did. But he's like, yeah, I'm kind of seeing this girl. And her sister, her little sister plays drums because he knew I was always doing music stuff and I was like, cool so I, I sure enough went out and met her and she's an, an amazing drummer and we clicked instantly and we started playing we played Nicole and I played together off and on for a number of years I honestly can't remember how many years but for a number of years we played off and on together in different variations she helped me write music you know we, we did different she was always she was always there always following me always looking at me to, looking at me to lead but going oh well, we're gonna go this and she was just ready she was always good always perfect there and I, I love it I love it she's the first person I worked with creatively that my brain worked with her my brain goes alright so I'm picturing the song and I was just kind of like you know kind of soft like this but kind of hardcore and I'm gonna sing and I'd sing for her and like but this is gonna be like rock and I'm not kidding. This is how I would describe it. She goes, oh, okay, okay, okay. Start playing. And I start playing, and she, she was right there. I was like, I think you're going to do like this, ba-da-ba-do-ba-da-ba-do thing. She, All right, I got you. And sure enough, within 30 seconds, 45 seconds, she had what I was hearing in my head playing it. I was like, this is amazing. This is great. That was the only good, real good thing that came out of that whole musical experience. Other than I learned more about myself, learned more about freedom, learned more about giving up control to get what you want. But I was desperate, and I never thought I could do it myself. I could sell a good game. I was goddamn determined 
Man, I would drive two hours. No, take it back. I have been known to drive three, a little over three hours one way to do a day-long band practice to then turn around and drive three hours home. So I was determined to make my dream come true in the wrong ways. So I was always looking for that that great guitarist, that great person who could just get what I was doing. And I just felt misinterpreted because I was not understanding who I was. I was misinterpreting me. So I always felt like the world misinterpreted me. And all I needed was that translator, that person. Nicole got it. Nicole got it. Right? She could play the drums. I need a bass player who could get it. And I got one to a point. And here's here I've become very blunt with my teams now. Going, this is what I want. This is how I want it. And I am open and almost demand your feedback on this. No more will I surround myself with people who are afraid to speak up. No more will I surround myself with people who think what I want is for my ideas to work and not get the vision. Only will I surround myself and work with people who get the fucking vision, who are unafraid to say, well, this is what you want, isn't it? Well, let's take this different road. This is what you want, isn't it? Let's build up. Paul Klotz, perfect example of this. Chris Wisdom, perfect example of this. Chris is going, I've got these great ideas. Let's try this, this, and this. But he's no no ego, no hurt feelings. Sometimes we go, yeah, let's do that. Sometimes, as in the case of actually today, we're like, I get where you're going. I'm not sure how we can get there right now, maybe later. Uh, but how, how does this work in your mind? And so we had a discussion about it. Paul Klotz. Man, you want a company? You want to make money? It's not about just dreaming and, and having great content and being the rock god. It's building infrastructure and focusing. And let's take some time to to focus on these things. And not that he's a slave driver and I'm the creative. I'm just saying he's helped ground me in that sense. And he's taught me down off a few uh, kick-in-the-door moments where somebody pissed me off and came at me. And I was like, you're about to find out what happens when you come at me. And he goes... He, talk, he just talks me down. He's like, okay, I get where you're coming from. Da, 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 and and he, then he gives a logical business, because I'm a businessman at heart. He gives a logical business explanation and still lets me make the choice. And helps me see the ramifications of my choice. Those are the people I surround myself with now. But then I got this bass player. And actually, I went through a bunch of fucking idiot bass players. But I got this one, and he could play, man. He could do all kind of great things. And see, that's a fault of mine, is I see the potential in everybody. But especially if you really have it, I will look beyond the what who you're telling me you are. Because everybody tells you who they are. I'll ignore the red flags and the shit of you telling me who you are to see the greatness that you can be in, in certain people. It, it breaks my heart that John Marsh... Is a happy is okay. Follow here. It breaks my heart that John Marsh is a happy family man who provides for his family and has a job he loves because that motherfucker can sing like nobody's business. He can sing like I've always wanted to. Not only can he hit the pitches perfectly, and I mean, yes, he has his bad days. Don't get me wrong, but he can hit those pitches perfectly. He can just walk around the house just randomly singing, and it's beautiful. At his wedding. When everybody gets nervous at their own wedding, at his wedding, he sang to his wife. 
And not only can he sing, he sings in that higher end, what is that, uh, uh, tenor? He's a tenor, which is the, the, the style that I love. I obviously when I sing if I sing which I do sing so I do some karaoke especially when I'm hosting karaoke I'm not afraid I know what my range is it's drop D and it's darker tones and it's 90s grunge and I can I can sing some Metallica I did uh, I can do one of my standards is uh, their cover of Bob Seger turn the page because it never gets too high right but it's it's right there and I can I can do that song so obviously even hearing my speaking voice you can tell I'm a deeper range person but he's always had that voice and when American Idol first came around, I was like, dude, you got to go do this. You will win. But here's the thing. Johnny would he would laugh in a, a thank you kind of way. He would even sometimes say, I appreciate it, whatever. And he, he never denied he could sing. He knows he can sing. And he's such a good singer. He can sing with me. So what that means is, is I would go, oh, man, I want to do this song. And uh, one of the songs he and I do together is how, uh, Say Goodbye to Yesterday by Boys to Men. He does the high parts. I do the the lower parts. But we, he is so good at singing. He could take me with this dreamer and this. I think I can do anything, and help me without pushing me, without instructing me or molding me. He helped guide me and brought the key down on the song, so that because he would always start it off, and he learned how to start it off in a different key, so that when I came in, I could hit the notes, and we would match up. That's how good he is, and that's why it breaks my heart that he's a goddamn happily married man with beautiful children and a job that he loves that is providing for everything they want. Because, <laughs> goddamn it, he could be a rock star with happily married and children. I'm just saying. But with this bass player, who's remaining nameless because he doesn't deserve a name, he's a filthy piece of shit. He told me who he was he he flaked i mean there were so many flags and i looked past it so many times because that was what i did because this guy was so fucking talented with music so amazing at at bass lines and writing bass stuff and, and doing complicated things and just could do anything and where i'm playing lead guitar which is mostly rhythm i'm not playing lead i'm playing guitar and singing he's doing bass we got nicole in the drums and I remember one night, I don't remember if I fu- just felt it like I, I can't do the guitar anymore. I need to focus on singing and writing. And I, I, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but basically I'm going, oh, well, yeah, we could do a whole lot more stuff if you want to bring in a guitarist. I just thought you want to, that's the people I surrounded myself with. I just thought, oh, I just, I'll just do my thing. Oh. I was always like, this is a creative effort. We're co-creating. But I, I attracted people who just wanted to follow who just wanted to pussy out all the time he's a filthy piece of shit because he lied he manipulated he never rose up to the occasion and he stole about $1,200 worth of my gear and he gave me roaches in my house that was the last iteration of any kind of music that I did before or but towards the end of that time podcasting was coming around I was working as a paramedic and I had heard a local radio station say that, uh, hey, get get our podcast. What is that? You know, And I went to their website, the radio station website, and you could download an MP3, which is kind of like a podcast, but it was just segments of their show. It wasn't like I could listen to their morning show in the afternoon, which is what I wanted to do. 
I could guess, and usually it's the dumbest segments with this fucking character that I hated, which I hate all characters, but this one I really hated. Probably because he hit too close to home, if I'm being honest now, but then I didn't realize that. I just hated him. But it made me go, whoo, podcasting, look Google podcast, and found Podcast Alley at Podcast Pickle. And I just started looking up comedy stuff and, and landed on a show called Two Guys, One Brain because it's a very interesting title. And then they, I'm active paramedic and it says two sheriff's deputies talk about working in the jail and life. And so I downloaded it and I started listening and wrote into their show and they said my name on their show and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. That was the thing. Here's what the magic of podcasting is. You are the expert nobody knows you don't know what the fuck you're talking about especially if you make it sound good to the ear sound professional like i'm doing now especially if you're comfortable with who you're talking to and these two guys are best friends and they were i didn't pay attention to any numbers i didn't know there were only 10 12 episodes in i didn't even know what a fuck a podcast was i came through it through a radio station a radio station talked about podcast and then I got into this world of podcasting, which is nothing like radio stations. But when they read my story and my name on air, because I'd already listened to two or three of their episodes, loved it, was trying to find more of their stuff, more of anything I can get my hands on, just going everywhere. When they read my name, I, I, I was a fangirl. I was like, oh, my God. I'm thinking, oh, my God. Out of all the people that write it, they said my name. They read my story. They thought it was hilarious. They think I'm funny. And it turns out I was the second person in the world ever to reach out to him. I didn't know that. And that's the magic of podcasting. I didn't find that out until actually later that that's what happened. And I kind of became the de facto first fan because I stuck around for the life. In fact, I still wait for their shows to come out. Every once in a while, uh, about maybe twice a year, which is fucking March, bitches. Time for your biannual show. I'm going to have to tag them up. But I became the voice of their, their fans at one point. I mean, I've literally had people, I have no idea who the fuck they are, reach out to me. This is when they started podfading. Their life changed, their jobs changed, schedules changed. It became more difficult to podcast. But as that started going, things were falling off, and strangers would reach out to me. Just find me on Facebook, like, please call them. Please tell them to do another show. Please reach out. So I became this de facto head of their fan club. But also, at the same time, I started doing production for them. I learned how to produce for other people because I'd produce segments for them. I would do all kind of different things. I would make appearances on the show, of course. I started podcasting because of Randy and Andy and Two Guys in One Brain. And I started doing a, a morning zoo crew show with my brother-in-law because, again, I can't, in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, I can't do anything on my own. I have to find somebody better than me. And my brother-in-law especially at the time was very very funny and one of the funniest people i knew so like i had to deal with him i know the tech i i love to talk so i'm going to set him up and do stuff i might tell some jokes with him but this is what i want to do he's the star of the show well that was wholly untrue i had no idea about that started another show blah 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 quit podcasting for a year when the band fell apart that last one with the bass player and I mean just it went shit went sideways hard on that I was filing bankruptcy um, had to get another job so on and so forth no I already filed bankruptcy before anyway it didn't matter it's just dark 
It was darkness. It was crashing down. I just said, I have to focus on my family. Got out. That's when I got out of EMS. That's when I quit being an active full-time paramedic and went and got an office job. Spent an hour focusing on this, or an hour. <laughs> Spent a year focusing on this job. Spent a year uh, trying to make sure my family's taken care of and this and that. And finally, I mean, I just got to where I'm telling the same stories over and over and over again to my wife and to my best friend. And, and it was getting old. And I found myself engaging in conversations at work in a podcast format, asking questions to see what would happen, to, to see the entertainment value, to entertain people. And I knew I needed to get back on a microphone. I was, I was oppressed by myself. I was depressed by myself, too. But I was pushing down all the creativity in who I am, all the character of who I am, all the stories that I have to share. I was just smushing them. I had nothing. And I remember coming back to my wife and sitting sitting in the kitchen, and I hated to tell her this because we'd had so many problems with the first two shows with me making bad fucking decisions and sacrificing family time and this and that and she didn't understand this hobby and she's a private person to a point I mean I say to a point because if she's truly a private person she never would have changed out of what she was but she's never the person to volunteer and go hey this is my story this is what's going on she has gotten used to me and our stories and obviously has done a podcast with me it's mashup uh, EMG uh, Ermagard it's a mashuppodcast.com Aaron and I have done a number of episodes together about music, matchup music. But we'd have fights over this and that. So I, I, I came back to her and said, look, I, I really, and I just, I don't know, I just felt guilty. I felt damaged. I felt like a drug addict a little bit, saying I, I have to do something. I, I, I felt bad because I felt like I was telling her she's not good enough. She's not enough in my life. I need more. I don't know if she ever felt that in that conversation at least but my, I overthink things and the voices in my not the voices in my head but the experiences that speak to me that say you're fucking up you're, you're oh you just you're just never enough I watch too much TV and you know that's that comes to, down to a negative thing I'm never enough for you you have to have the world love you I heard that in my head and part of that's actually kind of true my wife love my wife's love is the only individual love I need. But I certainly do crave the attention that comes with you listening to my voice. I certainly was I, I'm trying to find the right word. I certainly need the attention when somebody at Dragon Con yells, Hey Rock God And I turn around and they talk to me like a fan. It, it, it there's something there that fuels me. Beyond that I need to be recognized by my peers as somebody who's good at what they're doing. And that's why working with Brian David means the world to me. And he helps guide me. I mean, he, we were talking about awards and stuff not that long ago. And he's like, isn't your goal to be X, Y, and Z? I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir, it is. He goes, oh, then, you know, stop talking about this other bullshit. <laughs> like, he is mentor-esque in the, he's a good partner. He's a great partner because he knows how to balance me. He knows how to let me dream and dream big and those big dreams with the power that I put behind them and the determination and the work that I put into it those dreams can come true but he also knows when to say hey 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 focus on the the work stuff that you want to do stop focusing on this distraction bullshit like awards and and that kind of thing but I went to my wife knowing all these things are true I mean I I had 
I had the voice in my head telling me this, so, but now, I mean, I know it's true. I have an ego. I know I want the world to, to see what I do. Um, oh, man, I was just listening to Goo Goo Dolls. I don't want the world to see me because I don't think they'd understand. When everything else is broken, I just want you to know who I am. That is made to be broken. When everything is made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. I don't want the world to see me because I don't think they'd understand. But when everything's made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. That's that's me in a nutshell. That's me in a, a musical line right there. And so I came back to her going, I I, I, I feel like I need to start another podcast because I, I've got these. She, she stopped me. She said, go, go, go. Do that. Because I, I, was, I, was, I was just repeating stories. I, I had this need to share these stories and I was telling her the same stuff over and over, and I'd be on my phone. I'd be on the phone with my best friend Douglas, and, and telling him that, and, he, and he's like, "Yeah, I know. You, you told me that story like last week." And when I did, when I got on to bear crawling, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I did a couple of test runs with Douglas as my co-host. I wanted a co-host because, by God, I can't do shit on my own. I can't make it. I'm not good enough. I wanted a co-host. And we did a couple of test episodes, and it, and it was fine. And I was t- working with different names for the show, and this and that and the other. And I ended up coming up with bear crawling because inherently, inherently, I knew inside of me, this is going to make me or break me as a whole person, not success in podcasting. As a fucking person, this is going to make me or break me because bear crawling was based off of an exercise that I'd learned about another podcast that was all about. I think it's done with baseball players mostly, but uh, the guy who told the story, Mike Ballard, <laughs> Mike Ballard told a story uh, where he was forced to crawl across a baseball field by his coach. And you're on your hands and your feet, and that's it. Nothing else touches the ground. And you crawl, and it works out all the muscles in your body. And something about that just stuck. And I didn't know it my show was really going to be about I knew I was, I was done pretending I knew I was done doing the morning zoo crew thing I knew I just had to get on and talk and we'll figure it out from there see what sticks and so I named it bear crawling after that exercise not knowing for the next almost 300 episodes in 5 years what kind of hell I'd go through with it but jumping in face first I did and I didn't get to episode 8 no five episode five four or five because i did one or two episodes with douglas and we just couldn't line up the schedule and i was like i got, I just gotta do another episode and then i was like you know what i want to do this live because i fucking hate editing i i just i want to get better at live speaking i just i want to be able to record it have my fun hit done and put it on the internet and so i went live and let me tell you something i mean you're talking about 2000 my daughter was born in 2006. My son was born while I was doing a podcast. I was pulling my pot and what I believe. My daughter was born. That's when I decided I had to give up everything. So 2007, January 2007. 2008? Shit. Because I left my on my maternity leave... I left my EMS job. She's born in October 2006. So January 2008. I believe it was. January 2008, I think. 
I don't know, whatever, fuck it. I took a year off after she was born and I took care of my family. So I started a show called Bear Crawling and I'm literally looking at a wall and that's what I'm talking to. I'm talking to the wall, which makes me get really introspective. And I, I just start talking about stuff and I just put out every goddamn thing that crosses my mind. No holes barred. Metal attitude meets talk radio. Brutal honesty meets the human connection. These are my taglines for that show. These are things that came out very quickly after I started doing this. And I decided I was just going to talk until I was done talking. And I did hour and a half show on my own, which was unheard of. You don't do hour and a half shows. You do 20-minute shows, 30-minute shows max, because that's what the drive time is, blah, 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 blah. Didn't give a fuck. I broke that mold very quickly. You didn't do that long, and you didn't do high quality. You should really compress it down to like 64, maybe even less of uh, uh, kilobytes, blah, blah, blah. Crunch it down, because it's just audio. No, 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 I'm an audiophile. So when I play my intro music, I want to be badass motherfucking intro music. And you compress that beyond, way beyond 96K, which is FM quality. I mean, I'm talking about 64K, which is uh, AM quality, or some did it less. Puke, man. It, it made my soul throw up. I wasn't doing that. So what that meant was in the day of dial-up internet, when podcasting was brand new, it came around in 2004. And I was into it in August of 2004. In the day of dialed up internet, maybe DSL, maybe at 1.5 down. You're having to download an 80 megabyte file to listen to my show. And then you're going to have to dedicate an hour, hour and a half to listen to my show. Nobody was doing that then. Everybody said it was crazy. Why are you doing this? Why? Then, on top of that, I made myself a goddamn schedule said bam this is what i'm doing every fucking wednesday at this time i am live changed industry bosmosis mostly you know i have no idea how many people actually knew what i was doing how many people touched i know i met dave jackson before uh and then he returned into my life with bear crawling nation uh, Dave Jackson being one of the influential teachers of podcasting and, and one of the influential people in podcasting now. I met Todd Cochran, uh, who's the head of Blueberry during Bear Crawling when he was starting that up. Different things. So I don't know how much my osmosis affected people, but I fucking did that shit. And all the pushback was, you're, break, you're doing everything backwards. You're doing wrong. No, no, I'm having to do it me. I'm having to do it me. I'm the fucking rock out of podcasting. And that's where that came from was in like the first year of bear crawling when I talking about metal attitude and talk radio and I used the term rock out of podcasting then then you call myself that too much I still I still was damaged I still was attracting people who I love dearly and if you end up hearing this show I, I some of you I love dearly some of you can suck a dick but the fact of the matter was I was very clearly locked onto my vision of my future but I was doing it in a back way and attracting people who would never get me there. So I was still operating under the sense of, okay, I'm decent. People like my live show. They'll call in. They'll hang out with me. They'll talk. I mean, it took different formats, took different times. I ended up bringing on a co-host because I found I do better talking with somebody instead of just at the wall. Uh, 
Then I, I was trying to become more professional as things went on. But the first person I attracted was my my boy Hugh. Now Hugh is still in my life to this day. I talk to him probably once a month, two times a year. He comes to my house uh, from Rhode Island and stays with me. He comes for Renaissance Festival, which was when we started doing the, the meetup. He flies down. He flew down for that one. He's been coming ever since. Love. It. I look forward to it. It's his first vacation of the year, and he comes and stays with me. And my family. We love him. Then the second part of the year, he comes from Dragon Con. He decided he wouldn't try Dragon Con. And he's come, this will be his third year, third or fourth year, I think. I mean, Dragon Con. Love it. Love that he comes. He started calling in because he had disposable income. And this is when long distance was still a thing. And he had to dial long distance to be live on my show with me. And we were, we were doing, I, I, haven't, I don't even remember the connection we use. We use some site that's no longer in existence anymore that gave me a phone number so people could call in and do live shows. And he would start calling in and we would talk and it became a cool thing. And I always said, this is where I'm going, this big, huge dream, this big, huge everything. And he was always like, no, 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 no. I, I Let's just hobby it, man. Let's just be cool. I'm just... And we did end up having a fight because of how I did things. And the fight was... He told me who he was, and I told him who I was, and neither one of us listened because we were becoming really good friends because there are parts of what we're doing that we're so in love with. And we were both learning the lessons we needed to learn to become mature adults, to run a business for me, for him to be happy doing a hobby and being my friend. Because he's still the person, he does not give two shits who I know. Not he'll tell me this true story. He's like, oh, Brian Brushwood is an amazing magician. He does scam school. And he's telling me to watch all these videos. Go to Dragon Con. The very first person I see is Brian Brushwood. Very first person I see. And I stop him as he's coming off the panel. I was like, hey, you're Brian Brushwood. He's like, yeah. I was like, would you mind getting a picture with me? My buddy loves you. All right, cool. Take a picture. Later on that weekend, I do. I get his phone number and I do a, a interview with him. The next year. We hang out. I mean, we're not close friends, but we're friendly, he and I. He was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, he loved the picture. He thought it was cool, but he's like, I was like, yeah, I've got Brian Brushwood's cell phone number. He's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> and he's such a great grounding force in my life because I can get the woo, name dropping out of my system, the important, you know, when I first start working with somebody and I just have to tell the world, this, check this out. <sighs> he'll be like cool I can appreciate that you you like that but it's not that big of a deal because partially because he knows who I am and who I am is a guy who deserves to work with people who are talented and partially he knows who I am because I'm the guy who will go out and do great things and then he knows who he is which is yeah I like that person I think that what they do is great they're very creative and fun eh okay <laughs> but I attracted him he never wanted to go where I was going. And I ended up firing him on the air because we had a talk where I thought I was clear. He thought he was clear. There was a major miscommunication and it just had to happen. It just had to I had I had a universal moment of God, I love him. I, he's my boy. But fuck it. This is where I have to go and I cannot go there with him. And I don't know what part he was going through, but literally three, four days after I fired him on the air, he, uh, we did a sideshow, 
a spinoff show, Bear Calling, together. And I was there for it. He's like, uh, uh, what? Uh, what you're... I was like, no, I, I'm serious. I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I just have to take that show where I have to take that show. This is still your show. And as long as you want me on your show, I will be here for that. And I was until a better co-host came along who really suited his needs, who really met his his path and his pattern. And I was able to back out uh, on peaceful terms. And it, was, it was a good handoff. And I brought in a second co-host who slowly but surely told me who he was and self-sabotaged things. And Steve, man, love you to death like a brother. But you've let your life go to shit. And at some point, I had to fire him as well. He had his own show, and we had gotten onto the Adam Curry Network. And let me let me back up before I get to that. So there's me, there's Steve, there's Hugh. We're doing this meetup thing at the Renaissance Festival. Angie had started coming in at that point. She had found my show. I forget how she found my show. But she started listening, reached out, because I said, I need an assistant. I need something. I need somebody to help. And she said, I can, I can do, I used to be a roadie, a band manager, all these different things. I can help. And she's the first person I ever hired because we had an interview process. I didn't know who the hell she was. I just knew she was a chick. I didn't even know what she looked like, but we had an interview. And I said to her, I mean, I said a bunch of things, I'm sure. But one thing I said, I am not your friend. I am your boss. This is a job. I am happily married. And I will never tolerate anything getting in the way of that, ever. And she's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to imagine she's like, what the fuck, you weirdo? But uh, I, I was like, uh-uh, I don't, you're a chick. I don't know you. I do have enough self-esteem to think that I'm a rising star. I have already seen star fuckers come out of the woodwork a little bit to try to fuck up my show. Mostly men and not wanting to actually fuck me, but to to, to co-op my show. So I, I just was very careful with her. She's the first person I ever hired. Um, she's become, she's come my girl Friday. I mean, she's absolutely the person to go to. Aaron loves her. The kids love her. Uh, she's become a great part of our lives. And I know I can, when I need something done for the show or for me creatively, I can call her and she's there doing that. So bear calling turned into bear calling nation because it, it got to be this good audience. Is this, Oh shit. I hear think about this. I'm actually wearing my t-shirt. I fucking made, uh, almost 300 t-shirts no 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 no, not that many i spent 350 dollars on the shirt so yeah i don't know 100 shirts maybe less than that probably uh but i made shirts and of course all my hosts got them it says bearcrawling.com which uh, actually still works it goes to charlesmcfall.com now that's me on the shirt posing in a, a silhouette my wife says i'm pooping and uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can go to youtube.com forward slash Charles McFall and you will uh, see the video of me showing my shirt. And it's the bear catching the earth, right? That's how I felt. I was like, you know, going up for it. Uh, it's not quite what I always envisioned. I envisioned more of this tribal silhouette. You know, the bear is me going out and, and biting the earth. I don't know. But it worked. It worked. Cringe Clothing did this for me. Worked me a great deal. Uh, I'm not sure if he's even still in business anymore for as far as that goes, but he he was a great guy. K-R-I-N-G-E, Cringe Clothing. Google it. If, if You know what? If he's still around, he, amazing work. He's a good guy. And 
so bear calling turned into bear calling nation because it was it was Steve was on with me. Hugh had his own show. Now Steve was kind of doing his own show. So there's three of us working together but doing shows. I'm like, you know what? We kind of got this organization going on. So then uh, I decided I'm going to start building a network. And I meet up with Ricky, right? Armored at Mon. Yeah, Rafael Tortuga. And I interviewed him again and we're talking. He wants to know more about he wants to know more about podcasting. So he comes over to my house and this thing happens and I'm teaching him podcasting. And he wants me to be his producer and and I kinda had a mini network at that point. It's the three of us doing shows, but we were part of the Bear Calling Nation. Because it was the same voice, it was all the the same style of, of how we deliver things. You had to be honest about things, you had to be mostly positive. I mean you could shit on some things, but you had to be if you're shitting, you had to have a purpose to take a shit on it. And humor. You know, a lot of some, some of the similarities of what we have in the Giant Size Team Up Network. And Ricky wanted to be a part, and he kind of pushed his way in. Oh, no. Jim, World Traveler Jim, became my fourth show. World Traveler Jim had known me through Two Guys, One Brain, l- listened to everything I was doing on Bear Calling Nation. Enjoyed it, I guess. I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I mean, the man took me to Israel and showed me around, and all I had to do was pay for food, and and uh, that was about it. My own passport. Um, love Jim. Love that he's doing movies and stuff right now. He, he's an indie movie maker now, but uh, uh, he wanted to do a podcast, so he talked to me about it, and I was helping him out, and this and that and the other, and loved what he's doing, and that became the fourth and fourth four and a half shows. Because he did this limited run, other thing along with it, and it was growing, and it was it was doing pretty well, and, and we're doing some cross pollination. It was great, and then Ricky found out about it, and and kind of pushed his way in a little bit, uh, mostly because he found out I gave. Uh, well, this was my impression. I'm sure it's totally different. I'm sure it's totally different, but me not paying attention to life here's how i took it is i was talking about how i sent steve and hugh and uh, jim 25 dollars gift cards to think geek and I, I love giving the people and i love especially giving freedom to spend money so i might know you well enough to buy you something cool but maybe i don't maybe i just know you well enough to get you money to a really cool place and you can go have fun with it and that's what i did for that christmas as a thank you for being believing in what i'm doing uh, the the topic uh, some people are just joining a lot the topic is the rise and the fall of the Bear Calling Nation um, that's what it is so uh, so Ricky <laughs> he literally was like oh I want a $25 gift card I'm like no you're not part of my network well how do I become part of your network shit you not that's how it went Ricky that's those are the words in that moment and you were probably having fun with it but that that came off wrong it burned in my brain and I've since gotten past it uh, but Mordant World became the same which we became uh, Mordant World Radio uh, became The Other Side of Live which eventually became Success Freaks which I did with him for many years so uh, this network's coming along and I'm now the head of this network but here's what I did here's the fall of the Bear Call Nation is I felt like I was never good enough right so I had to get these talented people who do, do, do great things and who are smart and I had to push them out aside you know they have to be alongside of me because they're smart they're talented they're funny i find them funny and interesting 
that means I, I kind of have to be funny and interesting because they like me, right? That's, that's how that works. So that was a faulty premise to build on. The other faulty premise was I, I started it with Steve, really, because he was, he was the one that uh, um, I hate cheese show is what he was doing. And I liked what he was doing with that and how he was doing it. And this is before he became a co-host of my show. So I was like, hey, I would love to help you out with this. What do you need? Well, he wasn't really good at publishing his show and writing notes and, and building a website. He was just good at coming out with the content and turning on the mic. No worries, man. I'll do that for you because I know websites. I've made all my mistakes. I've learned all kind of shit. You know, I, I, that's what I was doing was what do you need? I can do that for you. So I'm physically, literally doing everything that nobody else can do. So Jim would have web hosting. He he had already had a web host. He offered to put the nation on the, the servers. Great. I can do that. I can build some WordPress sites. You know, I can help you out. Hugh could do editing. He could do all kind of audio mixing. Uh, at first, he needed my help with content and those kind of things. But he knew microphones. He could do audio. So I built him a little website, and I would publish a show for him, but he would do everything else. Uh, Jim handled most of his uh, his stuff. I did some editing, I believe, and some production for him. But he could do his own website stuff. Uh, he's actually better at website stuff than I was. I've actually attracted some really talented people outside of podcasting to even help me with website stuff just because they liked what I was doing. I mean, I, but I could not see that. That was the fucking fall of the Bear Crawling Nation of me was I couldn't see that the heart of the network was me. I was attracting all this stuff. I was putting this stuff together, but I always thought, wow, I just got lucky that I found this guy, Steve, who could tell awesome stories and do funny voices. I'm amazed I found this guy, Hugh, who really does know audio. He's teaching me new audio tricks and pointing me in the right direction and, and those kind of things. And he's willing to hang out with me. You know, I, I, I'm attracting these people, right? So I'm building this this network. And then I start after after we've got five of us, right? We've got myself, Steve, Hugh, Jim, and now Mordent. Now we're, we're a network. And now we're going to do this meetup at the Georgia Renaissance Festival. And this is the first time I've ever met Angie in person. And Hugh flies in. Steve drives down from Tennessee. Uh, Jim was not able to make it. Of course, Ricky was there because he worked there. Uh, so that was most of the hosts were there. A few fans actually came out. We actually had some local fans of mine that actually came out. Angie came out and she had just started working with the nation uh, shortly before all that. And we're there, and we're hanging out. It's a good time. V came up. I just saw this video, which actually there's nothing about the video I wanted to share, but I saw. I mean, Kelly was there. She she was always a fan of Hughes, and she was a fangirl at that point. Uh, but she came out. Uh, Angie was there with her friend. V came out, which was Ricky's friend, which that turned out to be a goddamn train wreck and a half. Um. But I'm sitting there at the festival, and all of a sudden, Morgan goes, "Hey, this guy wants to do podcast. I want you to talk to him." What? What the fuck are you talking about? And it's Alex Autry, and this dude is dressed in in Renaissance gear, except it has a, a Renaissance style Superman on there. And I think he has a Green Lantern something too. I was like, "Oh man, that that's fucking cool." So I'm a dick, right? Because all of a sudden I'm in producer mode. Like, what the fuck? This is not how I recruit shows. There's a lot. <laughs> Ricky and I know how to push each other's buttons. And to a point, it's very motivating. But to a point, it's also fucking aggravating for both of us on each side of it. 
Uh, and I was, I was like, what the? F-? So I finally told Alex I had a video camera. I was like, all right, man, give me two minutes. Go. And he's like, and he did. He stepped up and he told how the Blues Brothers influenced Batman. And honestly, I can't remember the story now, but I remember going, holy shit. He's telling an amazing story. I didn't know the stuff about the Blues Brothers or Batman. He's big in the films. And All right, let's do your show. What you going to call it? Because I've always wanted to do a show called Seven Throw Center. All right. He hadn't done a single episode. That's another mistake I made. And that's where the rule I've developed is you've got to have 10 shows minimum. 10 shows in the bank. And then I'm going to listen to them. They have to be improving in quality each time. And now I'll coach you. I'll help you. Travis Jones, who is the Blazing Defender, Blazing Defender Report, he does an amazing job. And I got him when he's really rough. But I, I made the deal. like, I will coach you, and when you're ready, I'll bring you onto the network. And I spent a few months coaching him on how to do better podcasts and better shows. So I said, okay, you're ready. And while he was still, one of the, at the time, one of the roughest shows we had on the network, he was ready. He was ready for an audience. But Alex hadn't done anything at that point. I mean, I think he had guessed on some stuff and done a few things. But he's a storyteller, and I, I'm a fucking dumbass. And not that I don't love Alex. I think Alex is great. He's still a friend of mine. My mistake was I look at the, what I said earlier, I look at the potential of this person who is talented. I look past what they tell me, who they tell me they are. And who Alex was telling me at the time was, he literally said, I don't have a microphone. I'm not sure about what I want to do. And I went... Dude, we'll hook you up. I'll help you out with the microphone. I'll get you going. You know, I can't do. I can do a website. I can do everything. Just, just give me these stories. That is, that is so back ass words, man. That is so fucked up wrong. Because now I'm again doing everything for somebody else. Whereas true talent will go out there. I could say what I said to Travis. All right, I love what you did here. You've got a lot of talent. Now show me that you can actually do it on your own. And once you can do it on your own. We'll work together. Give me 10 episodes on a schedule to show me you're going to hit the mark every time that you're going to find content, that you're going to find whatever you need to get this show done at the same day every week. But I didn't do that. But I brought on Seventh Row Center. At the time, the biggest fucking launch of a show I'd ever had. At the time, we were... I had grown to about three or 400 listeners on Bear Calling Nation... Uh, Roadshow probably had 150 listeners a week. Uh, Steve Show, I can't remember what he ended up calling his next show. What not I Hate Cheese? He called it something else. But it had a good 100, 200 listeners. Jim had a couple hundred. But we all started at single digits, maybe double digits. Seventh Row Center launched to 220 listeners in two days. Biggest launch I'd ever had at that time. I was like, fuck yeah. I found a winner. I'm a producer, man. I, I got this from the edge. Thank you, Rock Girl. So... That was that, were, and this was. I mean, I was just getting overwhelmed, and I was literally. I'm having to maintain the websites, and I'm designing this website for Seventh Row Center, and I'm coding. And I gotta tell you, I I taught myself every inch of HTML code I I knew. I I got in there, and I never went with any kind of podcast hosting. There really wasn't much at the time, but I, I went with. I bought a domain until until Jim brought me onto his server i bought my own domain and i i did everything i hand fucking coded rss feed which is insane but it's because i used a program that was doing it for me and i hit the wrong button i fucked it up i lost my itunes feed so i learned to hand write fucking rss feed because that's who i am that's what i do 
I didn't know what else to do. I could go in and say, oh, I understand patterns. I understand, okay, this is, this is, this is. Okay, I'm going to try copying this, post it down here, changing a little bit of information, what happens? Oh, it worked. And that's what I did for a while for, for my show until I found better ways to feed burner and those kind of things to do that. And all these people were great. All these people had great content, but the failure was all mine. The failure was mine because I literally was doing everything that they didn't want to do. And it was different for each person. That's not how you fucking run a network. Nolan came on during the third time I was nominated for an award. I was nominated in category of general. That's when I, uh, so was uh, Secretly Timid that year. And uh, some other people. But it was like my third nomination. And that was my thing. I was always pushing us to get nominated for awards and those kind of things. Because it's exposure, right? I felt like I fucking deserved it. And I still feel like I fucking deserved it. I've never gotten an award yet. Well, I take that back. I got this nice little trophy for my wife where I got a podcast and go all ahead, blah, 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 blah. All right. <laughs> uh, but I tried to make sure everybody was in their own category. Roadshow was in a different category. A Success Freaks was in health and fitness, those kind of things. And Nolan came to that page. See, there's exposure there. Nolan came to the podcast awards page i'm not sure what he's looking for but he listened to a bunch of different shows found bear crawling found success freaks loved them approached me at some point said i do websites and i do uh computer shit and i said i don't have to suck your dick or you do this for free <laughs> and he, he was like well that's awkward but i will help you out anyway <laughs> so it, it, Angie and him are still part of my life. They're still part of my crew. This this is one thing that's kept me going forward with I know what I'm doing. Because even when I fail, even when the house seems to burn to the ground, I can turn around and my people who, my team, I mean, they are my my heart. They're my team. I called Angie my girl Friday. No one, no one's the rock, man, that I can always fall back on and say, dude, I hate to bother you, but I don't, I, I've lost my way on this website and he's, he can fix it. He can, he can knock it out. Uh, to the point I was paying him for a little bit and that's said, I, I can't pay you anymore. And he said, I'll still help you out. I'll always be a part of what you do. Because of your influences, because of YouTube believing in me, and along with a bunch of other stuff, of course, it's kept me going. It's kept me going. Obviously, I knew something I'm doing because these are talented people. These are people who have skills, who could do anything else for their life. And they're sitting here supporting what I do. So I guess I do have something. My wife came around. Uh, it took a long time, but she, she came around to seeing the future seeing what i can what i do with it seeing that i actually did support us on podcasting for a full year uh when i needed it the most and that's a, a different story so then paul the book guy came along. No, no before that no no yeah no paul the book guy came along i cannot remember how i came across him or he came across me but the short and sweet of it was they were a book show and they were an interesting book show out of canada and I had Gazuki, I had Gary Drain, comedian out of UK. I had a multinational network going on. And these guys were all amazing. Gary's still a great friend of mine uh, out of all this. And so I'm building a, an international audience. And I'm making a name for myself and connecting with, with people who can connect me to other people. And somehow Paul the Book Guy comes across my radar. And I did dig their show. And I, I listened to their episode. They didn't quite have 10 yet. But I could hear their their stuff was progressing, and and he had big dreams too. And the shortest suite of it is he got onto the No Agenda stream, as they called it then, and that was Adam Curry's network. Well, it it was an Adam Curry live thing, is what it was. It was not a network. 
and they were desperate for content. Well, he opened the door, said, "Hey, I'm on this this little network. I don't know if you call it little, but it was a little network. This little network with all these other people." And at the time, I felt like I'm pushing this rock up the hill. I am going, "God damn! I need I need a door to open up." I mean, I know we are powerful. I know we are rock stars. I know we've got good content. We're connecting with people, but at the same time, literally, Steve is self sabotaging shit that's going on Hugh just wants to be a hobbyist Paul had aspirations on his own that he didn't want to share with anybody Alex went against the grain of the network because what I hired him for what I brought him on for was his ability to tell this wonderful story and just really get you into things that you never knew about movies and make you care when you didn't think you had a reason to care but he decided to go snarky and I got I got done with his shit honestly and I told him this, the, the day that he shit on the Smurfs movie without ever seeing it. I mean, he ripped it apart on his show and hadn't seen the first minute of it. And I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, never on my network. That's bullshit. Any fucking moron can do that shit. No, and it, it, But these are problems, right? These are problems that are building and building and building. And then we get the golden door. The guy who runs the No Agenda Stream wants to talk to me because they really need content. And his name was Frank Rowe. And uh, I got to talking to him, and it, it grew from just bringing content on to uh, within two weeks of that, they wanted me to be the A&R director because they heard all the different shows I was bringing on from my network. And like, holy shit, these are great shows. You know what you're doing. Come do that for us for free. <laughs> but I thought, okay, this is opening a door. I get to tie my name legitimately to Adam Curry's name. Adam Curry, the fucking podfather. Adam Curry, the MTV VJ. Adam Curry, the guy who created podcasting and who still, at the time, especially one of the biggest names. Actually, no, at the time, he was the biggest name in podcasting. And I get to sit in the chair right next to him. All right, I'll do that for free. And, I mean, that was the fucking beginning of the end because I, I had a network-wide meeting with everybody on, and everybody had to opt in. I designed a contract because I, I said, you know what, this is the real deal. This is at least the step to the real deal. This is where everybody has to start growing on their own. And that was the thing. I knew I could not fucking do a network the way I was doing it. I knew I'd never get anywhere. I had a little backstory that I don't know if anybody knows, but when I'd lost my job and I went to Philadelphia to train the people who were replacing me in my job, Oprah Winfrey was announced that she was starting her own network, TV network. And she had a contest for people to, to come on to a reality show to compete to get their own talk show on her network. Right up my alley, right? Right up Mordant's alley. Well, Mordant pitched a show separate from me, and I pitched a show separate from him, which I remember sitting in that hotel room getting the video ready and, and doing the video about what I want to do and how I want to talk about what I want to do to change the world. And having and knowing he was doing one separate, and I went, why, why, why are we doing this separate? I mean, we, I, th I, I believe we were doing success freaks at the time already. And so I'm like, why am I doing this separate? And then I went, I, I go, I, I can't take Hugh and Steve with me on this. There's no way I can take them with me on this. And I gave up on that because I felt like it was more important to bring everybody with me than it was to actually gain some form of success and then maybe reach back and give them a hand up if they wanted it. So I sabotaged my own. I mean, I had these clear thoughts knowing there's no way in fucking hell Steve and Hugh can go with me on this journey. Knowing that my partner and I decided somehow for whatever reason separately to pitch two different shows separate from each other to get voted on. 
it was the cracks were showing. The cracks were showing. And so when this No Agenda stream came around, which I rebranded No Agenda Global Radio, when that came around, I said, this is the opportunity to kind of start over without leaving anybody behind, right? We're going to be absorbed into this network. No longer am I going to try to do it on my own because it was stressing me the fuck out. I've blacked out. I've literally blacked out, blocked out all the the bad decisions I made where I sacrificed family. Jesus fucking Christ. I didn't black out one of them, though. So somewhere in the midst of all this where I'm trying to legitimately build a future for myself and not knowing how to do that because you got to understand right now as I'm recording this there's fucking Patreon and I can get paid to talk into a computer because people love what I have to say and they'll donate on Patreon there's advertising that is readily available for podcasters now there are networks that all you have to do, Blog Talk Radio is one of them. All you have to do is show, hey, I got quality. I've got consistency. I've got a heart that'll fill a gap on your network. And boom, you got opportunities to get ads. You got opportunities to get promotion. You've got opportunities. We had none of that shit. None of it back then. And so I had to figure out how the fuck do I make money on this? Well, because of podcasting, I had to learn Twitter. I had to learn Facebook. I had to learn YouTube. So these are things I could do. So I, in fact, that's how I first approached Mornet was I want to sell you on managing this. And then he wanted me me to be his co-host, which was, it worked out fine. But there was Chef Jax. And again, again, telling me who she was, which was somebody who hated being in front of the camera. I had to talk her into a whole lot of things uh, because I thought if you just would, see, I thought she was resistant because she didn't understand the world. No, she was resistant because it wasn't her path. But I thought she great attitude, good fun. I know how to produce women very well. Smart. It's still beautiful using you know, your beauty, but smart. Showing how talented you are, smart you are. Yeah, I, I, that I can do very well. Men give me resistance a lot because there's a lot of egos in play and, and somebody's telling what to do. I mean, it depends on if they respect me. Like Travis, everybody now that I work with respects me for the most part. Um but then, I mean, there was lots of resistance. So I'll get back to the, the fall of the Bear Connection here in a second. But this was a major breaking point for the whole thing. So I'd, I'd set up with Chef Jack to do this live streaming video from her house, right? We were going to start doing this cooking show. I forget exactly what the whole idea I had conceptualized was, but we we're going to do this live interactive cooking show. Nobody was doing that at the time. There was no YouTube live. You had to go to like Ustream or some other fucking side to do that. Fucking always ahead of my time. Always ahead of my time. And I mean, I'm doing this live interactive cooking show where she's talking about how she's doing this. And, and we got a chat room going and, and people can can see her and they can ask her questions of what she's doing. And she's conversating back and forth and fucking groundbreaking shit. So that day, my son was supposed to have a soccer game, right? He was supposed to have a soccer. Well, he had no, he had a soccer game. And it was okay. I mean, I worked off and on. I, I saw different games than that, but I was going to skip it because I, I had this thing. Is she paying me? No, she ain't paying me. I'm doing this on my own time. I'm doing it because I fucking know that it will take off. But what I fucking failed to realize is I'm the only one who believed. She, Chef Jacks, didn't fucking believe. Alex Seventh Row Center, he didn't believe in his show because he quit doing that shortly after we moved. This another show. But my wife was working with a lady named Lila at the time older lady she was she had worked in the ER uh, with this doctor 
She was an ER secretary, worked with this doctor, became friends, started babysitting for this doctor, uh, doing different things like that, sometimes cleaning the doctor's house. And the doctor had an elderly mother named Lila. And Lila lived in this beautiful basement apartment in this, this nice house that they had. And she started needing some help, like driving, getting to the doctor, you know, getting in and out of the car, getting driven around to go get groceries, those kind of things. And my wife loved it. She did it for years. She did it for years and got really close to this lady. And this particular weekend that I have pushed to do this social media thing with Chef Jax, that's all my idea. When my son has a soccer game, uh, Lila dies. So she got into the hospital for like a week and she dies, which death affects me differently than most people. Uh, one of the things that makes me a great paramedic is when my grandfather died, I cried for about five minutes. When my uncle died, I cried for about 10 minutes. And I was sad because of the loss of, of and that's how I've learned how to talk about life and death with people is, is the loss of their presence on my life. I get that. You know, I, I get the grief, but I process it fairly fucking fast and then move forward. I mean, it can be sad. It can be, it can be trying. Um, I mean, my uncle played big into the bear crawling nation and I don't know if that'll ever be a story that's told because it, it's so convoluted into a bunch of other stuff that was in my life. I'm not sure I can easily separate that story out, but she dies and my wife's wrecked and my wife wants to go to a funeral. I hate funerals. I don't go to funerals. I don't give a shit about funerals. Funerals do nothing for me. But they do for other people, and they do for my wife. They they help her find closure, something she needed to do. So, and she needed somebody to be there with her. And I was so focused on trying to build my future that I failed to even look at that. And so my father-in-law took my son to a soccer game, which he was sad because that's like the first time his mom hadn't been there, which I, honestly they need to learn. We can't be there for every goddamn little thing you do in life. And I go and do this this interactive cooking show that people liked that went well but that she basically never wanted to do again so I wasted my time and that night there's a long history story that is so negative I'll probably never tell it because it's just while it is a part of my life it's something I wish to stay away from I want to move towards positive versus negative but there's a huge negative history with my sister-in-law and I mean, she's, she's, there's a story there. And that night where I thought my wife was okay, she, she basically lit into me about how my sister-in-law went with her to the funeral because she needed somebody to be there with her. And I immediately myself went, oh shit. If somebody who I think is a piece of dirt in this world can do that and I'm off, I've fucked up. And I did. And it, it became, a, it was a big thing. It became big fights and, it, it it went on for a while, but that was a major fuck up in the Bear Calling Nation because I was so focused on all the wrong things and doing it all the wrong way, taking time away from my family, yelling at my wife from times, you know, being stressed out. I've been mean, working crazy fucking hours to handle everything. You know, I, we there's before cell phones, before smartphones, and before you know you could really afford data and be on things all the time so I'd have to come home check my email for an hour I mean we'd be out for dinner a couple hours whatever I'd come home and have an hour's worth of emails none of it made me a dime didn't make a motherfucking dime during the Bear Calling Nation days 
And I mean, I would spend an hour on my computer digging through emails, fixing the problems, going, you know, putting out this fire, doing that fire, doing this, to be exhausted to then spend a few minutes with my wife. You know, bad fucking decisions all the way around. So the Golden Gate comes in the form of the beautiful hair of Adam Curry. And they not only want all of my shows for the network, which validates me, and thank you very much, they want me to work for them. Validates me, thank you very much. There's no pay. And my dumb ass was like, sure, no, because I did see opportunity. It did it did play into something bigger, better on. But I always made that mistake. Oh, creative comes before pay. No, it really doesn't. When you're taking time away from your family, when your creative outlet is hurting the people you say you love because you are losing all that time, when you can't work on that together with them, it's the wrong decisions. So I remember having the meeting announcing that you know Adam Curry Network wants us. Everybody's going to have to sign contracts and this and that and the other. Uh, the Bear Clown Nation is going to be no more. It's up to you if you want to do it, so on and so forth. Uh, Rocho said, thanks but no thanks, uh, because that's not where they wanted to go. They didn't want to commit to it. There's something they didn't want to commit to, and that's fine. Steve jumped on, and the contract basically, all it said was, uh, you will stay on your consistent schedule. You'll stay at your consistent quality. You'll, you know, you'll do what you are already doing. Uh, I think a few said no. Alex got his panties in a fucking wad over Paul the book guy because somehow he felt like Paul was taking over the network. I don't know where that came from. Everything started to fall apart there. And then we get onto the network and, and I also carry false expectations of myself. And I carry, this is something I got from my mother. Of what, do, what will people think of you? What will people think? Well, fuck them. Fuck people. What do I think of me? And that's really what it comes down to is I'm stressing because I think this looks bad on me because I feel like it's bad. But a little, well, somebody might not even notice it. But it, it stressed me and Steve out because Steve started fucking up his show. He start, started showing up, not having anything to talk about. The last episode he ever did, he woke up five minutes before the show and you could tell. And I mean, he was saying it. He was like, oh, and I'm groggy. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? And I had to sit down with him and have Angie there. And we had a talk and I ended up firing him. I said, you're off the network. Because that part of my life showed me that I am cut out to be a shark. I am cut out for business because I still love Steve. I wish to death that he would be back in my life on a more active basis right now. I wish that he would be doing what I know he's great at, which is entertaining people and sharing stories and just sharing life from his point of view. And he's not. He's gone. He's doing other things. And that that was that. Bear Crawling Nation went on for a while. I was doing it live on... Adam Curry Network, Adam Curry Global Network. And that's the other thing, too, is we get on there, and I'm expecting, we're in the big leagues. Adam Curry, we're helping build his network out. I am not working for him. But that man didn't give two shits about any other show in his network. None. He wasn't there to build a network. His people around him thought it'd be a good idea to build a network. But when the man whose name's on the front door doesn't give a shit about it, all he wants to do is his show, which is all he ever wanted to do. As far as I can tell, he never, he allowed it to go on. He, he tried to help a little bit, but he never said, oh, I want to build this network. He just had a life. It's just a weird thing. I mean, I met him. I talked to him a few times. Um, I became close enough to him to pitch ideas and, and invite him to, to go speak at conferences and those kind of things. Uh, but not super close. No best friends or anything. Uh, I mean, he knows who I am. That's, that's about the end of that. Lots of missteps. Lots of unfocused. But the, the, the fall, the rise was me tapping into what I'm good at. And that's seeing 
great content, seeing great people who can bring the content and, and really have a great voice and, and change the world. And there's just something, it's the je ne sais quoi, right? There's just something about them. And that was a rise. That's where I started really getting in. And, and through all this, I'm, I'm cleaning out my baggage and I'm mending old wounds with family. And I mean, I'd, I didn't speak to my uncle for a few months and then we made up on that one. I, I didn't speak to my, fam- my mother and father for two years and then we made up. And, and you know, I'm growing, I'm becoming a better person, I'm becoming stronger. But in that whole time, I'm building this faulty premise. So the rise was me understanding who I was, along with people like Angie and Nolan coming in and bolstering that. And and Hugh and Steve and the people giving their time, Jim, giving their time to be a part of what I'm doing. That was the rise. The fall was everything I built it on was bullshit. Everything I built it on was the premise of I'm not good enough. I need other people who are better than me to help me rise. And the premise was, the faulty bullshit was, I will do whatever it takes. Oh, you can't do us? I'll do it for you. And I learned a lot of lessons. And I'm glad I got validated by going into the No Agenda stream and, and the No Agenda, no Agenda Global Radio. Uh, it opened other doors for me. It opened up other avenues for me. Um, it taught me things about opening my eyes and seeing where people want to be and seeing what they want to do. Now... Now, whenever I talk to a new show, there's a number of questions I ask every show. But first off is you have to have 10 episodes, period, in the box. What kind of equipment are you using and why? Why are you using it? Is it cheap because you have no money? Okay, let's see if I can't help you find something in your budget, see what you do with that. Not I'm going to buy it, you're going to buy it, but let me help you find something that I can tell you as an expert this will work as a good quality microphone if you can afford it and you know it's in your budget and then see what you do with that give you guidance the other question i ask is does your significant other believe in what you're doing because that i've learned that the hard way so many fucking times because i made so many bullshit bad choices to hurt my wife to uh ignore my family to i mean it hurt her I, this is something i i had to do and I would probably do it again today. But the day that I stopped talking to my father and my mother, we were in the car. It's sometime around Christmas time. Something was happening. And I mean, screaming, crying match. I'm riding. My wife's driving. And I mean, I throw my phone into the dashboard. I mean, I'm tell, I told my father he wasn't a man, you know, because of, of shit that was going on between us. I, I, I did. I said, you're no man. You're, you're, you're a fucking wuss. You're, you're pussy if you're going to act like this with me. I mean, cry. I mean, my world fall apart, fell apart. And we're, wherever we're going, we, we decided to cancel it. We're going home. And I called Hugh, who was my co-host at the time. I said, we're going to be home in an hour. Get get your microphone ready. And I went up for two hours and cried and bawled and screamed and just vomited all over the microphone of the emotions that was going on. And that hurt my wife because to her, I had to share it with the world and take it away from her or not, you know, not be with her which was not the case i needed to explode this massive energy out and the only way i know to do it is on a microphone those things have been worked out since then but i mean the lila thing not being there for well i should have said fuck the world i gotta be where she is yeah my father-in-law can take her take my son to the soccer i gotta be with her at this moment i made those bad decisions I decided to do a live show every Monday through Friday for No Agenda Global Radio because it's what needed to be done to get more information out about the shows that were coming up during the day so people might actually listen. I was going to do that live. And I just did it and didn't tell my wife. And, well, then, oh, no, I told her after the fact, and I'm doing it. 
And at one point, she goes, I really need you to take our kid to school. I said, like, I can't. I've got a show this morning. And I realized at that moment I could. The choices I were making were for me without consulting her, without being a partnership in her. And I was taking myself away so far to the point that I could not be there for her at all. So that was the fall of the Bear Calling Nation was all of the faulty bullshit structure that was burning to the ground underneath us that we couldn't see was burning had to fall away and I leaped leapt and grabbed on to the global radio and I succeeded yeah we went on with success freaks at some point right in the midst of that where things got uh, one last thing about the fall of the bear colonization that maybe nobody knows and and by nobody I mean Angie and and Nolan because if you're listening you more likely have no idea what bear calling was at all for the three days after the meeting where I'm going, this is amazing. We are getting to the next level. I know I know it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not a signed contract. We're going to make money. But this is more exposure. We're going to get a chance of getting some advertising. We're going to become bigger players. I knew I could always be going to no agenda. And we have that meeting. And the next day, the crybaby calls start coming. Alex calls in, and he's ripping me up because he's screaming that Paul's taking over. Paul is calling me about other bullshit. Um, you know, this is going on that Ricky wants me to do a, a, a dance with him, but there's something else. I forget something else was going on in life at the same time, like real life stuff was going on at the same time. And Ricky calls to want to celebrate. And it's like, I, I, I can't, man, I got five other calls I have to make. And I mean, he, he understood it hurt his feelings, but once I could tell him a little bit more of what was going on at that time, he totally got it. But I, it became, instead of this great thing, it became this, fucking fire burden why the fuck am I doing this cross point road where I had to make a decision and I decided then and there I was fucking done I mean, that was the end of the Bear Calling Nation that everybody will rise and fall on their own merits from now on and out of that including success freaks every show that went in the only people who are still actively podcasting are me and Hugh and Hugh does it solely for the love of just talking on the microphone and the hobby of podcasting. He has no idea what his numbers are, but they're they're low. But he's had some listeners. But he, he, he's made some connections. He, he doesn't care. He's gotten what he wanted out of it, which is a hobby. And I'm still getting what I want out of it, which is now I have a successful network that is built on business principles that attracts people who want to be co-create. They want to co-create. They want to be a part of not just what I'm doing, but say, oh, I see what you're doing and I see what I'm doing and I think together we can make more magic than apart. And you know, we're, we're making money. We are making money with this network. It's not profitable, right? The network itself is not profitable. I'm still fronting the majority of the cost, but it's not hurting me. And the whole difference is, the whole difference between then and now with the lessons I've learned is my family comes first. That's why I'm doing this show at now it's 11:15 at night. Holy shit, I've been going for almost 2 hours. Uh well, this was an important show, I guess. Uh this why I'm doing this show at 11:15 at night instead of 10 o'clock in the morning because my life has shifted right now and I feel it's important to do this show and it's important to stay on task and be professional and do what I love to do and make room for it. But the reason I'm doing it tonight and not tomorrow is because tomorrow my wife needs me to take my girls to do some stuff because she can't. And I said, absolutely. I will cancel any show in the world to go help you. 
And now with my professional podcasting and the life that I live, I have more time to help her. There's been family stuff going on where she has to help her mom and she has to help her family out and those kind of things. And she said more than once in the last couple of years, she feels like she's taking advantage of me. I said, but this is the life we wanted that I could do what I love see the vision that I had know that I can get there and still put a lot of work in a lot of work in but to still have that time to say sure baby yeah on a random Friday I can do something for you on a random Wednesday afternoon I can do that for you on a random Tuesday you know and that was never the case before so the lessons I've learned is the ones who love you put them first always be a partner in your relationship because without that partnership, and that's why I ask every show, does your significant other believe in what you're doing? Because without that partnership, it will never work, ever. I always ask them, would you treat this like a job? Because when you join me, I expect you to work this like a part-time job, period. And it can get hard, even if there's no money at, at, for whatever length of time. If you join up with me, I expect you to work this like a part-time job. Because I work this like a full-time job on top of my full-time job. That's the other thing I found out was when you really are doing what you're supposed to do, you work it hard all the time. No, I take that back. Not all the time. Because now I, I'm like, I actually think of Nolan and Angie and, and, and them going, you know, Nolan specifically wanting to do WordPress management. And, you know, he still has a day job and he still has a family. So let me rephrase because I, I want you to hear me clearly. You do what you have to do to take care of your family and you understand why well, I might not be for me I might not be podcasting every single day I might not actually be working on posting things as much as I should things get behind I do understand that I am working it I'm always working it and when I have the time to find the balance work life balance of being an entrepreneur small business starter which is what I'm doing and what he wants to do and and Angie wants to be a part of all this too then you have to find the balance of being with your family, of getting rest, of making the bills, and of working the business. And when the time is right, everything grows. And I got to tell you, there's beautiful things on the horizon for Giant Size Team Up. And I always dreamed, and the one last thing I want to say about this, Alex and I used to always talk about the dream was to get to be on a panel at Dragon Con, to do a panel at Dragon Con. That was uh, what the dream was. And when I got on my first panel at Dragon Con, I texted him you know, a picture from the panel and said, you know, I, I wish you were here type of deal. So those are the things I, I uh, learned from my days in the Bear Calling Nation. And, you know, it, it was it was a lot of good there, but there was, was a lot of mistakes on my part. And I learned from all of them. So with two hours in the can, Apparently, I am going to take off here and now instead of doing a little bit of extra. But definitely appreciate Angie and Nolan for coming out. Uh, normally, I would you know, do some Q&A after this for sure. Uh, but it's it's time for me to go do some other things tonight. So thanks for listening. Definitely rock out at podcasting.com. Leave your speak pipe message. There's a tab right there on the side, nice and green. Click it, any device with a microphone, leave your message. Email me, rgop at charlesmcfall.com. Twitter is uh, Rock God of Pod. Facebook is Rock God of Podcasting. Love to hear from you. If you want me to interact, message me on Rock God of Podcasting. I will interact with you very well there. Twitter, I try to you know definitely respond to Twitter as well. Email, let me get your questions on the show. And, you know, we'll be back again next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for being a part of what I do here. 
and I look forward to doing so much more as the, the future comes. Okay, podcasters and YouTubers, my name is Mike Woodard, otherwise known as producer slash audio engineer for the rock god of podcasting. Look, you know you're producing amazing content, but is your audio game as tight as it needs to be? If you need to level up the overall sound of your show, I'm your guy. If you need a kick-ass intro for your show, I'm your guy. If you hate the sound of your own voice and just need someone to handle your voiceover narration, I'm your guy. Need music beds? Need sound effects? Just go to mikeatthemike.com. Check out my demos and take a look at my rates. You can sound better than you do, and I can help. Mikeatthemike.com.